Let's uh, watch this video as it's an inspirational video and sets up the theme and kind of the mood of our time together. You see, what we're actually trying to do here is we're just, we're trying to get a feel for how people spend their day at work. So if you would, would you walk us through a typical day for you? Yeah. Great. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door, that way Lumberg can't see me. <laughs> and uh, after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Tell him Space out? Yeah, I just stare at my desk, but it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. Uh, Peter, would you be a good sport and indulge us and just tell us a little more? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something about TPS reports. Uh, the thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. And here's something else, Bob. I have eight different bosses right now. Uh, beg your pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. So that means that when I make a mistake, I have eight different people coming by to tell me about it. That's my only real motivation, is not to be hassled. That and the fear of losing my job. But you know, Bob, that'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. So that was not the video that I had in mind. Apparently, they got the wrong video. That is not the mood that we're trying to set. It's actually everything in that video but the opposite of that. We're talking about work today and what Proverbs has to say about work. You'll spend a third of your life sleeping, about a third of your life doing maybe what you want to do. Good luck. And you will spend a third or more of your life in work, some kind of marketplace, labor, work. And you'd think if a third of your life is spent working, then Proverbs is going to say a few things about how to work with wisdom. And it does. There are many, there are, there are huge amounts of Proverbs in this book of wisdom that apply directly and specifically to how we can work wisely, work with wisdom. And if, I think if you totaled most of those up, you could probably summarize them in this single sentence that God wants to bless or God wants to pour out his blessings on people that work hard and work honestly. God wants to pour out his blessing upon those who work hard and work honestly. He, he wants us to succeed. He wants us to work hard. He wants us to be true. Let me give you an example here of hard work here. Some passages. 12.24 says, work hard. See, work hard and become a leader. Be lazy, yeah, you'll be a slave or unemployed. 13.4 says, lazy people, they want much, but they get little. Those who work hard, they're going to prosper. Our hand sign for this hard worker is this. This is Rosie the Riveter. If you have that card in front of you, that's Rosie the River. Some of you are old enough to remember that it was that call... Uh, for the women in America during the Second World War to go to the factories and help build, roll up their sleeves and help build the machinery that would be required to beat the Axis powers. And the Allies won because these ladies chose to work hard and work honesty, honestly. And we have, in many respects, freedom to show for it. So Rosie the Riveter, with her flexing her arm, is our work hard role model for us. There are dozens of Proverbs 
that teaches how to, to, about the virtue of hard work. I'm going to just remind you that Proverbs are not promises, they're probabilities. So it's, these aren't promises from God, they're just statistically valuable pieces of wisdom that if we applied them to our life, more than likely, the results will follow. And so Solomon is saying to us in all of his wisdom that you will be blessed if you work hard. You will be blessed by your company. You'll be blessed by your boss. And he's saying you'll be blessed by God because God wants to pour out his blessings on people that work hard, people that work honestly. And so what does hard work look like? It says in verse 27, 18, as a worker who tends the fig tree are allowed to eat from that fruit. It makes sense, right? If you help that tree to produce fruit, you'll eat from that same tree. One uh, gentleman between services said, said, if the house makes money, you make money. So as it is with tending a fig tree, look how, this is how it works with work. So workers who protect their employer's interest will be rewarded. If your boss makes money, you make money. If you tend the fig tree, you'll have figs to eat. And so Here's what it means to be a hard worker. Here's five things that come to mind. One is that you start on time and end on time. If you work from eight to five, that means you work at eight and you keep working until five. Real work, not, what, 15 minutes for the whole week? That's what is in the video. A second thing, definition or a description of a hard worker is a person who exceeds expectations regularly with joy, exceeds expectations regularly with joy. I think exceeding expectations is pretty self-explanatory, uh, but the joy part is if you exceed expectations, but you're moping around, attitude is everything in some respects, and, and you're not helping the company at that point because a sour attitude is infectious, it's contagious, and you're causing maybe more trouble than it's worth of you meeting or exceeding expectations. You show up on time, you meet expectations or exceed those regularly with joy. That's hard working. Next one is you, you play nice with others. Almost all of us are going to be involved in some concept of work where we're on a team. And so interpersonal relations are very important, and you need to play and submit to each other's needs to do that. Next, uh, honor your supervisors. Showing respect for authority. I know it's not the Vogue thing. It's not very uh, often used these days. But a hard worker here is a person that knows how to manage up and show respect for the people that are, are over them. That's what it means to be a hard worker. And then uh, finally, uh, the, the last thing that we're talking about here is that a good, a good hard worker admits mistakes. And you're going to show yourself to be completely separate from most of the herd if you just take responsibility for what you've done or your team has done when you do something wrong, right? It, uh, radical ownership or something, I think they're calling it now, right? Extreme ownership, where when a person says, yes, I dropped this ball, it was my job, I fumbled, it's on me, how do I make this right? That's how you show yourself to be a hard worker. That's what it means to be a hard worker today. If you were to come and say, how can I have more influence for the power of Jesus Christ at work? My first answer would not be, well, here's some things that might help turn a conversation, maybe over lunch or after work it would be, be a hard worker. If you want to have influence at work, you have to be respected at work. And if you want to be respected at work, you have to work hard. 
You have to show yourself one of the hardest, you know, producing person on that team, and you must show an I, a value of teamwork. When people, if you can imagine being on a sports team, if you show yourself to be a team player and a hard worker, then you earn the right to be heard. And friends, listen, God wants to, one, he wants to pour out his blessing upon you in the context of work, but also he wants you to have great influence for his sake, for his cause. He wants that to happen in your life. And so if you work hard and, and you know how to get along with other people, over time, over time, God will pour out his blessing upon you and you're going to see yourself having impact and influence in the place you spend one-third of your life, right? One-third of your life is spent being on these teams, being with these people, enjoying them so that you might have influence in their lives. So here's a question. So Monday morning, tomorrow, no, how about lunchtime? They get everybody in the lunchroom together and they post the top 5% of the hardest workers on your team. You gonna make that list? You gonna make the list of the top 5% hard, honest workers in our workforce? That's your goal. If you wanna get on that list, you'll need to work hard and you'll see that God wants to bless you. He does, he wants you to win. And, and the way God will bless you is multifaceted and multi-leveled. You're going to see his, his desire to pour out blessing on you. Your coworkers are going to like that. And your boss is going to see, you're going to see the blessing from the boss. You'll see the blessing from the company. And you'll see and feel God's blessing on your life. Because God, that's what he does. That's the theme of the Proverbs. That he wants to pour out his favor on people that are hard workers and honest workers. He wants to show you his favor. Now, the second part of the sentence there is that he wants to pour out his blessing on people, not that just work hard, but are also honest in their labor. Look what it says, 20 verse uh, 23. The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him. The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him. Now, as you might imagine, in the time this was written in most agricultural agrarian cultures, most of business exchanges is taking place with scales, right? And weights are used in scales. And we still do that, right? We buy stuff per, per pound. And we have to have someone go by, a government agency going around sealing these scales to make sure that they're accurate because the way you cheat people back in those days, even today, is you rig the scales or you, you manipulate what the weights are. So they could be, if it's a pound, it could be heavier or lighter than one pound, depending upon whether you're buying or selling. And this is detestable to God because it is against the very nature of God. God's nature is holy, and this idea of justice is in scales, and justice in, in business are in scales. You should have, you'll find this in the Older Testament, you should have righteous scales, it says. Righteous means holy because that's the nature of God. So you can't rig the scales. You can't manipulate the weights so that they're not accurate because that, it, it says it, it's detestable to him. If you remember from last week, it's like a lie. It's, it's contrary to his nature. It's supposed to be contrary to our original nature to want to lie in the context of work. So he, 
it, it makes him nauseous. It makes him angry for people to manipulate what is true and right and real in the context of business. And I know over the centuries, we've kind of weaned our way off scales and weights for the most part, but for, <laughs> for 4,000 years and then 2,000 in the last 100 years as things continue to change, as the marketplace changes and the industries change, there's always a way to cheat, right? There's always some way of rigging the scales or working the weights. And whatever that way is, it's detestable to God. It's not pleasing to him. And it, there, some of these new ways are, are pretty crafty. They're sometimes very difficult to find. And sometimes they, people live their whole lives and they never get found out. The passage is saying, oh, God knows. The holiness of God knows. And woe to the worker who tries to pull it over on his competition on his own company, on the government, because now you're poking a holy God on what really matters to him. Righteous scales, holy weights. It says here, the Lord detests differing weights and scales. Let me ask you a question. There's a follow-up meeting <laughs> after the posting of the top 5%. And then there's this other list that comes up and says, here are the people we have just found out that are cheating the company. These are the people that are lying to our, our, our people we're selling to. Are you going to make that list? If you feel like the Holy Spirit is nagging you about compromising what is true and right in the context of your business, you need to make that right. You need to get on the, the right side of this thing. God wants to pour out his blessing on men and women that work hard and work honestly. Now, I have found personally that it's, it's very difficult to work at a place hard and honestly if you're in either the wrong company or the wrong, I guess, job. If you're in the wrong job, wrong company, and it's a third of your life, <laughs> you're swimming upstream most of the time. And you, and you just start looking for ways not to be a hard worker or not to be an honest worker. And if you, you've got to find that right niche between how God made you and where you ought to be. Let me, what I'd like to do, this has been helpful for a couple of people first hour, is, is that, uh, to try to explain to you how we hire people at Grace, not that you're applying for a job at Grace, but rather to project it on your work situation and say, well, well maybe these four C's would work looking that way. Here are the four C's that we run people through in our interview process. Four C's, four words that start with the letter C. The first one is the word character. We don't want to be engaged with someone that we, who we can't trust. That's simple things. We're going to hand people the keys to all sorts of things, so we need to trust them. You need to work at a place that you can trust the people around you and the people that are superior in, in a superior relationship to you because character matters. The, the second one is uh, competency. Can you do the job at the rate that they're asking you to do it. Those are two different things. Can you do the job? God has given each and every one of us gifts that allow us to do certain things uh, well, effectively, and with a certain amount of ease, comparatively speaking. Can you do that job? And then at the rate, because sometimes the company you might be working for might be expecting you to make 10 widgets an hour, but you can only make five widgets an hour. That's going to be a really bad job fit. And so it's just a matter of time 
before you can. In other words, you can't work hard enough. And maybe you won't even work honestly to make it happen. So character and then competency. And the third one is chemistry. The idea of chemistry is we're all on a team. Interpersonal relationships are absolutely essential to, to harmony and function when it comes to playing on the team. And so we look for people that are going to be team players. They're going to laugh at the stuff we kind of laugh at. They're going to enjoy the presence of their coworkers. And you need to do that as well. You need to go to a place where the people you're going to spend a third of your life with, you enjoy being with. And sometimes I've been employed at places where I, I couldn't even go to the Christmas party. We just did not see eye to eye on a lot of values in life, and it made it difficult for me to work hard. So that's the chemistry part. And the, and the last one is culture. The fourth thing what we look for when we look at someone, and you need to look when you look around, is culture. Every company has, uh, I guess it would be like a vibe, an atmosphere. Sometimes it's a reputation. It's, it's what's going through the air conditioning vents. It's values that permeate the, the company enough so that it makes it easy for some to work there and some not so much. And so you can look, for example, I think this might help uh, illustrate the point. Computer companies like IBM and Apple and Dell are, let's just say they're all doing computers, but they all have completely different kind of corporate vibes, corporate cultures. Even their dress codes are somewhat different. That's what I'm talking about. Here at Grace, we're not a church that's you know, vision-driven and numbers-driven. We're a church that's person-driven, people-driven. And what we value in the congregation is what we value in the employee, uh, employment situation, and that is that each person needs to be brought to the challenge of their job description and do it well and, and to be the fullness, the fullness of who God wants them to be. So we invest in the person and we invest in their professional skills. Some people can't work for us because they, they love vision-driven churches, and we're just not that. Our vision is in the people. So it's, uh, it's our four C's, again, a character and capacity, right, or your abilities to do that, chemistry and culture. If you can do all four of those in one company, it's gonna, the point is it's going to make it easier for you to work hard and work honestly. If you have to shovel coal to put food on your table, then do it. You, some, listen, you got to do what you have to do, and a lot of life is attitude, not what you're doing. So with all that in mind, we kind of live in a time where you can choose, and you can move to a, maybe a, a favorable employment situation. But at the end of the day, most of the things written about work in the Bible are written to slaves about working as slaves. So, still, the four C's are great if you can do that. You need to work at a place where the company can intrinsically motivate you to work hard and work honestly. So, in summary, let me just say it again. God wants to pour out his blessing upon men and women that work hard and work with integrity. That's true. And you want that blessing. No matter what you do, at the end of the day, when you put yourself to sleep at night, you're going to love feeling God's blessing because he's poured it out because you knew you gave that company a good hard day's work with integrity. Here, here's a great little thing that God puts out there in this book of Proverbs. I love this 
sentence. Most of you know it. Do you see that person skilled in their work? They're honest and they're hardworking. Yeah, they will stand before kings, not obscure people. That's one of the ways God blesses us. He's pouring out this blessing. You see that person that's skilled? They do that. You watch. You watch. They're going to do this at a place and in a venue that is going to make them go to bed at night going, what? Me? There? How? And the answer is, God wants to bless. He does. He wants to pour out his blessing on people that work hard and work with honesty. You'll be blessed by that. That's the hard worker. That's the last of our personalities. And we felt like it would be a great idea to study the Proverbs the way we have because of the way the genre, we, we serve the genre, the, the style of literature. We serve that. We don't, we don't make it change. We change our teaching style of that. So we want it to be memorable because the Proverbs are written that way. We want it to be fun because Proverbs are written in a fun way. And we want it to be instructive because that's the point of Proverbs. And so we came up with these cards and these personality types and it fit the, the way it was written. And we hope you guys enjoyed it. There's, that's the way I think you should study Proverbs. There's other personalities we didn't get to, characters. There's the hothead throughout. You just go through Proverbs and you read every time it says hothead or a person with anger. There's all sorts of warnings for that person. That's a fool, type of fool. Another type of fool is the drunkard, person that can't, uh, con- you know, contain or discipline themselves. They're over here. And then there's a battery of Proverbs about friends, good friends and bad friends. So that's for your future study if you want to do that. If you want to do that with your kids at home, that'd be great. There's at least three other characters. We did nine uh, together. But let me tell you why we studied Proverbs this summer in the first place. Because fundamentally, common sense isn't common anymore. There's a wonderful proverb that I've been avoiding because it's the single most misquoted proverb in the whole book of Proverbs. And here's how it usually is rolled out. Without vision, the people perish. And that's one translation. And that one translation has gotten a lot of traction because pastors generally use it to start a building campaign or, or inspire the church to do something, you know, some great vision where, the, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so my job is to come up with a great vision. Okay, that's not what the passage says. That's never what the passage meant. A correct translation of that passage goes like this. Where there is no revelation, the people go wild. And that's true. We're teaching in Proverbs this summer is because people don't believe in the revelation of God anymore. And friends, we live in a wild world. And, and God set up Proverbs and the rest of the, of, of the Bible in, in the context of law. The law is not a bad thing. The law gives a, is, is for our protection. The law and the rules and the Proverbs, it's how life works. And he's just telling us how it works. And if we ignore that revelation, then we go insane. Where there is no revelation, the people perish. And now people don't believe the revelation. They think there are no rules, and now there are riots. There are riots in family living rooms. There are riots in the workplace. There are riots in relationships. There are riots literally in the street. You want to know why? Because we've abandoned the world. I'd say our culture, but the whole world has abandoned revelation. So we wanted to go back. We've done this before, but we wanted to do it again and say, hey, you know what? There is revelation. You don't have to go wild. 
You don't have to perish. You can, like, color within the lines. It's a lot of fun. And so Lady Wisdom comes to our culture and says, you done? Are you tired of living in your foolishness? Have, have you squandered enough time and money to want to change? Have you said words recklessly enough to have unnecessary tears showering the people that you love? Are you tired of living a broken and stupid kind of life? Lady Wisdom says, surrender. You don't have to live that way. It says in Proverbs 4, it says, listen to my children when your father corrects you. Listen, do not ignore his instruction because you should gain wisdom. You should pursue understanding if, because wisdom will protect your heart, it says in chapter 4. Love, wins, love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme. It says this, if it costs you all you have, gain wisdom. Do you know why? Because it doesn't cost to gain wisdom. It costs to live a foolish life. So you pay whatever you have to. Next time, trade up. Next time, trade up, live wisely. That's what Proverbs says. Now, we're going to take a test in just a few minutes. I'm going to show you how to do this at home for homework. But before, I thought it would be helpful if we reviewed before the final. You guys okay with that? Here's what we'll do. We'll review the nine characters very quickly uh, just to help you understand the cards that you received and so how they fit into a bigger picture. We started off with two, the, the two general categories. These are umbrella terms in the book of Proverbs. The one on this side of the stage we called the wise guy. His hand sign was right here, and he's always looking for ways to learn. His mind is always open to things that are truthful. He's the wise guy. And over here, the general category was the fool. And the fool went like this. He's going, yeah, right. He knows everything already. He's going to live the hard way because he knows so much that he's going to have to live the hard way. Now, in the context of the fool, there were two types of people early introduced because they're the two extremes. The ones closest, closest to the wise person, they're called the simpletons. And they just say, I don't know that. You could be a simpleton as an adult in some new endeavor in your life. Most children are, by definition, simpleton. They just don't know that. The other extreme, all the way over here, is the mocker. He has a high-handed fist towards God himself, and you stay away from the mocker. You get them out of your workplace. You get them out of your friendship. If you can get them out of your neighborhood, friends, they are radioactive. They're there's a blast zone around them, and there's no, for the most part, changing them unless they radically want to change. That's the mocker over here, and there's styles of those. In the context of a fool, there's this sluggard. He goes like that. He believes in magic. He believes that he won't have to work, but yet he'll have all kinds of stuff, like food in the pantry, magically speaking. Over here, a form of a, of a mocker or scoffer is the sister of this scoffer, and her name is the seducer. Her hand is out because she's going to accidentally touch someone else's hand, some dinner party. And then she's going to have him over for dinner. She's going to have him for dinner. She's going to eat him alive. Here she comes. She's the man eater. Then there's the poor fool. <laughs> all those people that don't know what to do with all that money. doesn't matter how much you make. It's how you spend it. Person over here, the wise person with their money, they're the 
wise and wealthy, the wealthy wise, and they're lifting up, giving back. A generous heart is a good heart. That's a true heart. Poison over here with the mouth is the gossip. She has a way of dividing all sorts of things that might even be indivisible until she enters the picture. She can split a family. She can split a company. She can split a church. She spreads lies. She is out to destroy. Her counterpart is over here, and that person is the hero. I, never, I don't think I explained the hand sign for the hero. This person is holding on to, if you remember the illustration, it's in the memory card. It says they put truth and, and love around their neck like necklaces. So he's, so he's holding on to his necklace, uh, those two necklaces, one of faithfulness and kindness, and they're holding on to that, and they change lives too for the better. They tell people truth in a loving way, and it revolutionizes them. The final character we looked at, we looked at this morning, remember, Rosie, the hard worker. And she gets things done, and she's being poured out with all sorts of blessings from God. All right, with that in mind, here's the homework and a brief test. Here's the homework. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see a little chart. This is an example. It's just an example of how these characters are all out in front of us. You know, especially, you know, the hothead and the drunkard, right, and the friendships, they are there. And if you want to learn how to live Proverbs, you have to keep these characters in front of you looking for opportunities to teach yourself, teach, teach your friends, teach your children, to show them, look, this is how to live, and this is how we respond to these various people. So here we go. Pop test. Here we go. How about Beauty and the Beast, right? Just remade it. It's popular again. Let's name some character there. First one is Belle. Okay, what character is she? She's what? She's the wise. And she's another one, though. She's, someone say the hero? She's the hero, too. Remember how she uses truth and love and confronts and changes people's lives with that? Here's the villain of the story, Gaston. He's not just foolish. He's making fun of reading. He's making fun of learning. So we're going to put him over in scoffer. But not just that, yeah, I'm sorry, mocker, it's a synonym, sorry, mocker. Not just mocker, but look, look at this picture. Maybe this will help you. He's the gossip. He's using words that are lying to incite a riot, and it works. So he's not just a mocker, he's also, he's also the gossip. And let's see, the original prince, this is kind of a hard one. He's, I would say, he's classically a fool, but if, as the beast, he's, he's the hothead that we didn't study, but you, uh, you'll, you'll see that when you start reading uh, the book of Proverbs. Here's another one, a classic, Star Wars, the original Star Wars, okay? So, again, we'll start off easy for the test. Who's this guy? Okay. He, like, he's going to be wise. He is the definition of wisdom. He is Yoda. We still use him as the definition of Yoda. So, what about Luke Skywalker? Where would he be? Yeah, see, this is why I want you to do this at lunch or something. It's a discussion, right? There's not an absolute answer. At the beginning of his career, if you look at him, he's over here. He's the simpleton. He's looking down the barrel of a lightsaber, right? I mean, that's a proverb. It says, hey, simpleton, stop your ways. It will cost you your life. He finds the trigger on that thing. The whole series is done, right? So he, it's not his fault. But then he, he moves over here. Look, here he is having the debate with Yoda. He's telling Yoda that Yoda's wrong. He says, what are you talking about? I'm already ready to be a, a, a Jedi Knight. And, 
right? Yoda's saying, no, you're not. Yeah, I am. So he gets in his little rocket ship, and right before the hatch closes, Yoda screams, you know, Darth Vader's your dad. But he didn't hear that part. He started. So he's foolish, right? Yeah, he moves from a simpleton to a fool on that one. And uh, Winnie the Pooh. You have young kids, keep it simple. We did this with our children when they were very young, right? Who, who is Pooh Bear? Yeah, he's naive. I mean, he says, this is a direct quote from the original A.A. Mills. He says, I am a bear with very little brain and long words upset me. Okay? So he's a simpleton, and I think he's going to stay that way because he's a stuffed animal. Okay. And who's the wise person in that series? Christopher Robin, of course. And Eeyore, what would you call him? Maybe a sluggard? Huh, right. Probably. I don't know. That's, that might be pushing. Okay. So point is, you do this between now and whenever school starts, your kids will be ready for school. They come back. What was the playground like? And they're going to be going like this and then like this and then like that. All sorts of things because these people are all around us. Let me conclude the whole, put a bow on all of this. This church, like all churches, is full of people that have backpacks that have been stuffed to the rim with regret. Because we have, we have chosen a path of foolishness, and then we chose to stay on that path of foolishness. And we walked thinking it wouldn't happen to us. That the laws of physics and the laws of, of God <laughs> would not make their way into our consequences. And I'm, I'm just saying, you want to trade up? You want to walk in the ways of wisdom and live and live? Proverbs 3 says, joyful is the person who finds wisdom. Joyful is the person who gains understanding. Because wisdom is more profitable than silver, has a better yield than gold, is more precious than any rubies. So gain wisdom. Pursue wisdom, whatever it costs you. Desire nothing like you desire wisdom. So seek first, right? The Lord, the, Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom starts, the fear of the Lord. Guard your heart. It is all you have. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of your life. Right? Your innocence is your power. We mock innocence in this culture, and that's where our power is because if we fear the Lord and if we, above all things, guard our hearts in that context of that innocence, we can hear God's voice. We can have intimacy with him. We can know his will. So fear the Lord. Above all things, guard your heart. It's who you really are. Innocence is your power. This is a CV joint, a constant velocity joint. I told you about that week one. It is solid steel ball bearings encased in a steel housing. It is heavy and it is strong, and it has to be, because this bears the pressure the violence of the torque from the transmission into my wheels of my car, my old Volkswagen, 73 Volkswagen Beetle. And whoa, it's, it's good for nothing. Well, you know, what? It, you know what? It's good for a lesson. Because this CV joint, it taught me this. 
It taught me, I, I thought it was indestructible. And so there was a little bit of maintenance that it was going to be put off the boot that kept it safe, tore, and I thought I could get to it later. And you know what I learned? You can't get to that later. There are some things that you have to attend to right away. Guard your heart. Because it's that constant velocity joint that taught me that sand is stronger than steel. And if I'd have spent a little bit of time early, I would have saved some money. I would have spent some money on a CV boot, but I wouldn't have had to pay in a, for an entire CV joint. It's a metaphor. The reason that is in my office on a shelf where I can look at it every day because it's a metaphor for life. There is no soul, there's no character so strong that it cannot be destroyed by wearing down, by lack of regular maintenance. If anyone chooses to not guard their heart, if someone chooses not to fear God, it will cost them everything. If you don't guard your heart, if you don't fear the Lord, then you will die <laughs> a merciless death in a painful desert, and it'll be on you. The warning signs were always there. So pursue wisdom. Guard your heart. Because wisdom is depth perception. Wisdom is the ability to see what is right and real and true, the depths of those things. Uh, wisdom is the ability to see the consequences of attitude and action both without ever actually paying with those consequences. You can see it in other people. Wisdom is the knowledge that every decision has a price tag. Wisdom tells you what the true, tri the true price tag is, independent of our culture. This is what it costs to go down this road. It'll tell you that ahead of time. So, search for wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Lady Wisdom has built her house for you. She has carved out the perfect amount of pillars so you would know her house. Seven pillars outside. She has slaughtered the fatted calf and barbecued that just for you. She has mixed her own special wine, and everybody knows about it. She set a table. She set a table for anybody that would come. She sent out her little helpers, her interns, all these female girls going out all the high places and asking everyone, hey, you simpletons, flee your simple ways. You're going to get killed. And then this last verse, come on, eat my bread and drink the wine that I've mixed for you. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the ways of wisdom. Show God what you can do with the only life you have. Who wants to eat at this buffet? It's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we lift up our time to you. We lift up our lives to you. God, I'd ask that your spirit would pierce our souls about if we're living a foolish life in any area of our life that we might not take another step down that foolish path, that we turn around and find our ways back to this table of wisdom, this banquet that we have before us. Lord Jesus, you, we know you are the author of wisdom, and you have sent her here that we might live a life that's pleasing to you and a blessing to us. I'd ask that we be a church that is willing to find itself 
in a life surrounded with the sewage of our culture, that we'd be a lighthouse for that, for those people that want out, those people that want to live within the boundaries of the nature of our souls, the way we should live, for our pleasure and for your glory. We want to be a church like that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.